Dear friends, let's go ahead and look at Luke chapter 9. We're going to walk through verse 23 this morning. Luke chapter 9 and verse 23. And Luke writes, And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. As I said earlier, this is but an introduction to this passage. But as I began to create this sermon and walk through this text, I cannot disregard the impact that this particular passage, as it is also in Mark and also in Matthew, has influenced my life. And I would say not only my life, many others that grew up in the time period in which I grew up in. I'm one who was converted to Christianity in the midst of the growth of the internet, specifically a time when it was very easy to access sermons from famous pastors around the world through MP3s. I know now you just take out your phone and you push an app, but back in my day you had to intentionally go on the internet and download those onto your computer and then burn them onto a CD and then soon enough we were able to have iPods and other items like that but it took some intentionality but this was um, very incredible in the flow of information specifically in this area and it influenced myself and many others in this time. I remember this sermon being preached, this text being preached multiple times by John Piper. This text ended up influencing a book by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life. And I was in the BSM at a college during this time, and Lou Giglio, who was a um, kind of a college leader during these times, he's uh, put on the Passion Conference. And I think that's still going on at this time, but it was just beginning during this time period in my early 20s. And they had this Passion Conference, and I went and I was very influenced by two people at this conference. One was John Piper, and the other was Vody Bauckham. And it was a year or two later, they put together another conference, but this one was very unique. They basically went and rented out a very large field. I don't even remember where it was. The youth, uh, the uh, BSM director had encouraged me to come along during this time and to go to this conference they were having out in this field. And I don't remember a lot of this day, but I do remember that there were a lot of young people there in the field, and they were singing, and we were listening to the preaching that was there, and it was raining. It was wet, Um, almost like a, a Christian Woodstock without all of the perversion that existed in the original Woodstock. And John Piper unpacked this and other passages, encouraging the people not to waste their lives. And the high point of this illustration, I'd say John Piper's sermon was kind of the climax of what I remember mostly from this particular time, other than being very wet and uncomfortable out there in the field. I remember this sermon, and the high point of his sermon was this illustration that he gave using the seashells. Some of you may be familiar with this sermon and this illustration. Others of you are 
completely ignorant of this idea, but his high point in this illustration that he used is that there should be self-denial in the lives of the church and in the lives of the people of God, and you should be willing to deny and turn away from the many comforts that we have in a first world nation like we have here in the United States. And so you should be willing and desirous. And the the high point of following Christ can be demonstrated in forsaking all of the comforts that exist here within this culture and going out and serving Jesus in a foreign culture. And he influenced through this missiology, a great, great many people. I think even Acts 29 in that group was influenced by some of this. You see this influence through the writings of David Platt and his book, Radical. And I was captivated by this. I was captivated by the listening to sermons. It was something I did regularly. I took a lot of time in my life to prepare sermons on CDs. And I was really excited when the I had a CD player that played MP3s because I could get a lot of sermons onto one of those CDs and I could easily carry that around instead of having many, many CDs all at one time to carry around. And so I was overwhelmed by what I had heard in this conference. I was overwhelmed by this sermon that was here and I desired to go and do this. I desired to go and just just let it all go to, to, to not hold to these American dreams, to not hold to these ideas of pursuing a career and pursuing a house and a family and, and children and all of these things and to go and to let all of that go and to seek to follow the Lord in a foreign Land. I wanted to give the, my life away to the Lord. I wanted to serve the Lord and others in a, another country. I thought if only I could do that, then I would be able to serve the Lord. If only I could be sent off, I could go to a foreign land, then I would really be able to serve the Lord. And that's not the road that I went down, obviously. My family's sitting over here. I have children. I have a wife. I have a house. The Lord has taken me down a much, much different road. And I was reflecting upon this journey as I was preparing this sermon and preparing even the sermons that are to come after this one. And I've come to realize this. And I don't think I'm the only one out of this generation that was influenced by some of these teachings, some of these ideas on missiology at the time. And I was one, I can confess, I had a zeal to go and serve the Lord in this capacity. I had a desire to go and to give my life to the Lord in these extraordinary ways. But dear friends, my faithfulness in many of the ordinary things of the Christian life was lacking, lacking during this time, and my mind was so focused on these extraordinary things, I wasn't looking at my feet in front of me at this time. One of the best books that you can read on the verse and this passage as a whole is the book that we read for a small group, The Shadow of the Cross by Walter Chantry. I will be um, quoting from that as we go through these sermons going forward over the next few weeks. 
Walter Chantry makes this very wise statement in the book, The Shadow of the Cross. He says, sometimes the most profound truths are ignored because they are obvious. Sometimes the most profound truths are ignored because they are obvious. And he is stating that in regard to this idea of denying yourself and taking up your cross. The reality is I was completely unfit for service in a church in my early 20s. I had this zeal. I thought I really knew so much. You could see me at one of the studies. I was always one of the first ones to raise my hand to church and to, 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 to say something, to, to share my opinion. And whatever someone was teaching on that person could have spent 20 hours preparing for this lesson. And I was always quick to go and share whatever I came up with on the fly or maybe whatever I happened to hear that week. Or as I was even driving in from a sermon, there's this need to communicate and share my opinions many times into areas that I had very little knowledge of. I had put very little effort into studying. And I thought I was so studious because I was driving around in my car and listening to MP3s. I thought I was so studious because I would listen to these sermons rather than listening to music. I did go on and serve um, on a mission trip, I went with Campus Crusade for Christ for three months down to Monterey, Mexico, and I worked there, and I think some good things happened there, and it even resulted in them approaching me. They had a business meeting. I sat down at a lunch, and I was given an offer, given an offer to go and to serve full-time with Campus Crusade for Christ. But I began to realize that was not the best route. I began to see issues in this organization, and thankfully, I did not go that direction. It's not the direction that I, I went. The truth is, I was not fit for service in the church at that time in my life. Even the other leaders in my church, I would really feel like I was the one who was doing real evangelism. I was the one who was doing real ministry. They were just doing stuff on Sunday mornings. They were just doing normal church stuff, but I was the one who would go out, and I did this very early on. I would engage in street evangelism very early on in my Christian life. I went and did street evangelism. In ignorance, I looked at what I was doing as more profitable than the work and the evangelism and the discipleship of very solid men who were serving within the church. It wasn't until I really began to attend a Reformed Baptist church, it wasn't until I took a few seminary classes that I realized my ignorance. I realized my, my short-sightedness, that I was taken, I was, I was captivated by the zeal to, to deny these things in my life, to go forward and, and serve the Lord in these extraordinary ways. I had a zeal, but a zeal, a zeal that was so, so lacking in knowledge. I desired to give up my life and my time, put my effort into serving in this foreign capacity, to give up this American dream, a house and a wife, a 401k, 
I didn't actually have any of these things at the time. I wasn't even mature enough in my life to have attained any of these things to be giving them away. But I was captivated by this, this theoretical picture of this ministry that I was giving myself up for. I didn't have the maturity in some of the most basic, basic aspects the Christian religion. I was willing to serve, deny myself in these great, these magnanimous ways, even tell others about it, let them know about the ways I would deny myself and take up my cross and serve in these areas, but not so much in these ordinary, regular aspects of the Christian religion. Here's what I want you to see want you to understand that, that, that denying yourself certain things and taking up your cross can look different ways in different cultures. There are idols within our culture. There are idols that exist in the culture, and we take those idols into the church, and we merely baptize them. We have baptized versions of those idols within churches And we're the fish. We're in the water. We don't realize we're wet. We don't see these areas. And it takes time for the Lord to work within our lives to allow us to see them. So often, our greatest issue is that we are comparing ourselves with others. We are seeing the ways in which we have given up this or that. We have done this or that differently than this person. And we're not recognizing the ways in which we're walking in disobedience to the very law of God. That's the standard. The law of God is the standard, and the Word of God must be the standard whereby we understand this idea, this concept of self-denial and taking up a cross daily. In Luke, it is the only gospel where this Additional word is given there daily because you could look at this passage and maybe interpret it as just ultimately dying in your faith for Christ Jesus. And since he says daily, you know very well that is not at all what he's talking about. But rather, this is a regular, ongoing aspect of the Christian life. It is a regular part of the Christian and his walk and his life on this earth and there's particular ways within this culture that we need to recognize these aspects of self-denial. We don't struggle in our lives here in the 21st century in the same exact ways as first century Gentiles did. You probably don't struggle with going to temples. You probably never asked yourself, well, can I buy meat at this temple or can I, do I have to become a vegetarian because I can only buy meet at these temples where it has been sacrificed to these particular false gods. You don't have to ask yourself what it is you need to do. Maybe you've been to a Roman Catholic wedding and you've had to ask, well, should I pray? Should I stand up? Should I kneel? What what should I do? Should I just sit in my chair the whole time? Maybe you've had an even more complicated situation where you have a friend that was a Mormon and they got married and they're going through their various ceremonies and you're having to say, I'm not participating in any of this. I'm going to sit right here and observe, but I will not be participating in any of these 
activities. That's the closest that we really tend to get within this culture, especially this particular area of the country. But the idols within this culture are ubiquitous. They are everywhere. And the idols within this culture that I want to emphasize here and the ones that I had to particularly deal with and continue to have to deal with and walk through in the area of self-denial and taking up a cross is in the area of entertainment, comfort, and materialism. And I really felt that this issue of materialism was really the main idol of our culture, the main sin of the culture, and this being willing to let go of these normal um, ways of living within our culture was to do away with that. But there's other aspects that I hadn't recognized. There's other aspects that I had not seen. Doing away with this idea of materialism, I didn't really have much at the time. This is even stunted my pursuit of a career because I believe that, well, this is just the best thing to do to kind of go through life, to kind of float through pursuing this ultimate goal. I believe myself to be very spiritually minded. I believe myself to be very knowledgeable on the scriptures and willing to deny myself of this theoretical place and this theoretical idea entertainment and comfort were idols of this culture that I participated in even in this and the Lord began to work upon my life during these times the Lord began to to affect me I began to see the ways in which the church that I was attending was not preaching rightly I was in a church it was a normal evangelical church and it was one that was not rightly dividing the scriptures, not rightly ordered. And I began to really study the scriptures, began to see ways in which these things were off. And a friend of mine said, hey, you should go with us. We're attending a Reformed Baptist church. And I went to that church and I had to deal with the idols of comfort and entertainment head on when I walked into this Reformed Baptist church. And I walked in there believing that I was so knowledgeable on the scriptures and one who was so heavily involved in ministry because of the things that I was doing in street evangelism and even things I did on the college campus where I was. But I was one who really appreciated music a certain way. I would go to First Baptist Church, Houston, and I would attend Metro and Cademan's Call would play the music during that time. So I really appreciated that kind of music with a acoustic guitar, a djembe kind of going in the background. It's what I really thought of as, as worship. I only thought of music as being worship. And I went into this Reformed Baptist Church, Providence Reformed Baptist Church in, in Pasadena, Texas, and I struggled so greatly with the service. I struggled so greatly. They, they sang from the Trinity hymnal at the time. They were, they were meeting in this little uh, wedding chapel in Pasadena, and it, the chairs were not comfortable. The music was difficult for me to follow. It took a lot of effort. I, I couldn't just memorize the chorus after the first lines and be able to just sing along. I had to really pay attention to what it was we were singing and what it was we were 
were doing, but the Lord used even these times, even working within these ordinary means that he had instructed. I was thinking I was denied myself so much in just these normal, regular aspects of Christian life, gathering with the saints, sitting amongst the people of God, hearing the word read, singing the word of God, hearing the word preached. We're such a, a struggle for, for me. And the pastor knew I had a desire to go into ministry. He knew that I desired to go on to, to seminary. He knew that I was involved in going out and sharing the gospel. He knew I was involved in doing activities on my college campus. But although I denied myself in these ways that were not actually applicable to my life at that time, the normal aspects of the Christian life, I struggled in those areas, and there was not a denial in those areas. I was not a good church member at this time. I would often show up late to the services, often miss Sunday school. One who had intended to go and to lead in a church and to preach and to teach, I did not even make just the normal activities of the church. I always had excuses, and I felt that, well, you know, I'm listening to sermons. I've got made these CDs. I've done these things. This is sufficient. I felt that I was denying myself by just going to this, this church and just attending here at this time, that I was in some way, God was owing me for going and sitting through these, these times, and the pastor confronted me. The pastor sat me down, Pastor Tommy Dawn in Providence Baptist Church, and he sat me down. He said, Aaron, I don't really understand what you're doing. You say you have a desire to go and to be in ministry. You say that you have a desire to go and to work in a church, to go and serve in a foreign capacity. But you show up late all the time to the services. You, you, You miss Sunday school. A lot of the time you, you show up on time for the devotions and prayer meeting when, you're, when you have a chance to teach, when you have a chance to lead during those times. But on the other times, you show up late if you do at all. He confronted me. He said, you're expecting me to go and write a letter to a seminary to say that you're called to this work. And what he did hit me very hard. What he said to me there really struck my pride because I thought I was doing really well. I thought I was doing so much more than even some of the leadership in the church. And I realized that I was not practicing a self-denial and carrying of the cross even in these very basic aspects of the Christian life and That is what we need to begin with and see in this area of self-denial, that they are practical and real aspects of the Christian life. And they are ongoing. It's not a one-and-done thing, as Luke says here, as Jesus says. This is something that is done daily. It is a requirement 
to become a Christian. There is a denial, self-denial that is there in coming to Christ and a carrying of a cross even to begin to follow Christ Jesus. But there is a continual self-denial and carrying of a cross that happens throughout the life of the Christian And the Lord is doing that. The Lord intentionally is bringing these difficulties and these stresses and these problems into your life because you live in a fallen world and he loves you and desires to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. This is a part of the plan, not something we should flee from, not something we should be surprised at. Walter Chantry makes this point. He says, only one interest may be found to the kingdom of God. There is a narrow gate set at the head of the path of life. No one with an inflated ego can squeeze through the door. There must be self-effacement, self-repudiation, self-denial, even to become a disciple of Jesus. We see that very idea echoed in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. It is a narrow gate to come to Christ. The entrance to the Christian life is a narrow gate and it is a continual narrow gate in every aspect of your life as well. It's not a one and done. I came to Jesus and that is it. The Lord is not continuing to justify. You don't walk away with that idea but you are justified and you are sanctified when you come to Christ Jesus, that happens to you immediately, but there is an ongoing, an ongoing sanctification that the Lord does in the life of his people. God uses these ordinary ways, these ordinary aspects of the Christian life, these ordinary means of grace that are here to be cherished, to be participated in by the people of God each and every Lord's Day. He uses that even to prepare his people for greater work. There are no shortcuts in this methodology. The Lord intends for us to walk through difficulty. The Lord intends for us to experience suffering. The Lord desires for it to be costly even to follow Jesus. We must keep the self-denial and this cost here close where it is actually occurring in our lives and not just this theoretical idea. We can pontificate all day long about many different things. We can theorize upon so many different things and distract ourselves from what is right in front of us, these ordinary things. These very important aspects that the Lord uses in the life of his people. Remember even even Moses. Moses in his life and as he struggled. We could use so many as an illustration for this from the scriptures. So many of the lives you can see are this way where the Lord has used things in their life where they have had to deny themselves. 
and turn to Christ, trust on the Messiah to come, because I believe this promise in Genesis 3.15 that the Lord will crush the head of the serpent through the child of the woman. I am going to walk and be obedient in these particular ways. I'm going to order my life in such a way so that I am distinct from those around me in the culture. And if you remember, Moses lived in the house of Pharaoh for 40 years. It's God's providence whereby he even ended up in there. God's mercy was shown even upon, upon Moses. He was protected from the tyranny of Pharaoh to be raised in the house of Pharaoh. And he rejected that home. He rejected that palace for the greater promised land that is to come. He looked and he saw the Messiah who was to come. He believed that promise. And the Lord didn't just send him out to go and lead the people out of there, did they? Did he? No, he worked as a shepherd for 40 years. During these times, the Lord was working in the life of Moses, preparing Moses with humility and patience, preparing him for the time when he would be leading the people out of Egypt. And then another 40 years when they would walk around the wilderness. And walking around that wilderness, let's be honest, in preparation for the time they would go into the promised land. I believe that just by this passive listening of, of sermons that I was making up for the things that I was, I was missing in church. I was ignoring these ordinary means the Lord had given and believing I was circumventing this in some way. Maybe I didn't do that intentionally. But that is what was happening. It's not the way it works, dear friends. You can't ignore the gathering of the saints on the Lord's Day intentionally and then go and make up for it at another time. Imagine this illustration. Consider this, this idea. Imagine you have a young woman. He is, he is courting a woman or, or a husband. And he has a date planned with his, his wife. They're going to go out somewhere for dinner. They're going to sit. They're going to have dinner. They're going to talk. Spend time with one another. Suppose he says to his significant other. He says, you know what? I know we've got a date planned. We were going to go have dinner, sit around each other. We were going to talk. We were going to enjoy one another's company. Let's not do that. Instead, I'm going to clean the garage, and I'm going to talk to you on the phone, and I'll go ahead and grab some fast food at McDonald's, and I will eat the food from McDonald's, and we will be able to talk. I mean, ultimately... This date is about me getting information from you. So you'll be able to give me that information. I'll be able to clean the garage. It's absurd when you say it that way. But I really did have that idea. I thought, you know what, I'm even listening to these sermons so much more during the week than many other people. How pharisaical is that? Than many other people at church are just there for that hour or two in the Sunday school, and I'm listening it to all these other times, and I mistook this passive engagement. I understand there's legitimate times to listen. I'm not deriding the idea of even passively listening to, to sermons. But the idea that you can circumvent what the Lord has provided 
is absurd. The idea that I can be cleaning up around my house or I can be at the restaurant at night closing things down and I would often have an mp3 player and I'd be listening to some kind of Christian content during these times. The idea you can neglect the gathering that the Lord has commanded us to be a part of in a regular way and then just go make up for it as you're driving to and from an event. There are idols that we have in our culture. There are idols that we have in the area of entertainment. Overwhelmingly, the involvement in sports on the Lord's Day has become a serious, serious issue to the point that I remember as a young child, you never would have had a swimming, a swim meet on a Sunday. You never would have had a football game for young people on a Sunday. And it's just it's just normal. I remember when we were meeting in the Seventh-day Adventist church, be driving down Spring Cypress, and I would see families, soccer, baseball, on the side we see football, just as a regular, ongoing thing. Some will kid themselves. Well, you know, we have to do this. This is what we're going to do. We can listen to a sermon on the way there. We can listen to something on the way home. We're still getting the information. We're still participating in that way. And I want you to think of this illustration as well. Suppose that same man was going to take his wife on a date and he told his wife, let me tell you something. I've got other plans here, but we're still going to be able to communicate with each other. You're still going to be able to share with me your thoughts, your feelings, and things that are going on. But I'm going to go to the game with the boys on Friday night, but I will talk to you on the phone as we are driving there and as we are driving home so we can ultimately still have that interaction. We can still be interacting with each other. That would be absurd. That would be offensive. That courtship probably wouldn't go on very long. There would be some conversations that needed to be had between that husband and that wife. It's the reality of forsaking the Lord's day. That's the consequence of doing that. You are forsaking what the Lord has provided, what the Lord has said he will use for the edification of his people, what the Lord will use in the building up of his church. And it is not just about gaining some information. It's not just about downloading some information. Let's be honest. The problems we have in our lives many times of self-denial and taking up our crosses, these are not primarily issues of information. You do get information as you're gathered with the people. You do get information as there is teaching, preaching, singing, praying. These are realities that are there. This is a way that the Lord has promised that he will work, that the Spirit of God will work with the, with the Word of God and in the lives of the people of God as they are gathered together celebrating the risen Lord Jesus Christ, looking forward to the time with that eschatological hope when they will be gathered together at the marriage supper of the Lamb. That is the picture that we have that we're pointing to each and every Lord's Day as we're gathered together. 
You can't circumvent that. You can't go a, a different route around that. There is a self-denial that must be there in our lives, but first and foremost in these very, very basic ways. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Let him deny himself daily and follow me. And the necessity and the importance of taking up your cross, the necessity and importance of self-denial is not merely something that happens externally. Let's be honest, dear friends. We can deny certain things to ourselves externally, but our heart is still there. So someone can leave Egypt and be out in the wilderness and be following the Lord, but their heart is still desirous of the things of Egypt. If we're not careful, dear friends, in our self-denial and actions, we, our heart will be far from our actions. Our heart will be desiring the idols that we so cherish, the idols that we so desire to follow after. True obedience, true self-denial, true carrying of a cross is not merely external actions. These are things that flow from a heart that has been changed and is being changed in this work of self-denial as it occurs in the life of the Christian is something that is happening in a gradual way. So there is a continual realization of areas where you need to repent. There's a continual realization of areas that you need to turn from. And you will look back many years later at the things you struggled with at these times past and realize they were but small things. The examples I've even given here It's shocking when I even ponder them that that these were areas that I was struggling with at the time in my life, but they were real issues. They were real areas that I needed to change. These are real areas that the culture around me and the idols in the culture had so influenced me. In an area that that we recognized as a family, an area where there was a self-denial in my actions, but not in my heart came about at the time when right about our third child was about to be born and we realized it made no sense for Janice to continue to work outside the home, that she was needed in the home, we began to overwhelmingly see the need and the necessity for her to be there. And there was this need on my part to then go make up for what was lacking at this point. We had a new home. We had new cars. That's the way in which we were living our lives at that time. And so we went from two incomes to one income, and there was a gap that was there. And during this time, I was doing this willingly, but my heart was still desiring of these times in my life when I had greater comfort, greater entertainment, times when I could just go grab the golf clubs and be out at the course, time when I just had free time to myself for many hours on end. And I was working two jobs at this time, working all week as a teacher, working in a restaurant, Friday nights, 15 hours on a Saturday. That was a regular thing that I did. And I would even teach Sunday school at church on 
Sunday, and the Lord was gracious to me at this time. I happened to be listening to one of the sermons that I was listening to at the time, and it was Paul Washer, someone who has been greatly influential upon me in my life, and he was talking about biblical manhood and about how fathers should act and how fathers should behave. And he said something so captivating to me, something that I was so surprised by, something that I had to, had to just stop what I was doing at the time, cleaning up at the end of the night at the restaurant, getting ready to go home. And I was feeling sorry for myself. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I don't have these times of leisure that I do, not seeing the blessing that was there that God had given to me. That We, we were singing in Psalm 127 just earlier, the, the blessing of children, the blessing of the opportunity to, to, to nurture souls, eternal souls, have been placed into your household. And I was looking after the times of golf clubs and relaxation and, and video games and other very, very silly Things And Paul Washer talked about this reality in the Christian home of the man and the working that he's doing at work and then coming home and working. And he says, you're going to be tired. You're going to be tired. And you're going to bring the kids to church and you're going to be tired. And he said, you're supposed to be tired. That is God's will for your life at this time, that you would be exhausted, that you would be tired, that you would be giving of yourself in this area. Some of these realities, dear friends, as you begin to walk through them at first, they are are difficult, but they begin to wane for a few different reasons, and we'll use children as a particular example, because there is an area when you begin to have a family and it is growing and you have five children under four like we had and you have the difficulties of getting everyone ready and moving them around where they are. But as you continue to work through these areas and disciple and to train, they begin to do all these things for themselves and other things and you as a person also begin to change Yourself, And it was so comforting to realize this reality. I did not need to run from this discomfort. I needed to embrace it. I needed to run toward. I needed to see this blessing that is there that most of you are like, well, of course, this is a small thing. I'm using older examples because I'm just going to say it's too soon to use some more recent examples. So I'm using older examples here. But the command is to deny yourself and to take up your cross to deny yourself in real, tangible ways from the idols that are in your culture, around you, that have captivated you, that you have grown up in, existed in, that you're in the water of, and you don't even realize it. To not be content with where the Lord has you, to not look at someone else. We don't justify by comparison, but do not sanctify yourself by comparison either. Do not look to someone else and say, well, I'm not doing it like this. That's not the standard. Look to Jesus. And when you see the ways that you fall short, you don't need to beat yourself up and say, what a terrible person am I? That's where you began. You began your Christian walk seeing what a terrible person you are. But when you see the areas where you fall short, the areas where you need to deny yourself, the ways you need to take up a cross and walk in obedience to Jesus 
It's a reminder of the grace that has been shown to you, the power of the cross that's given you the ability even to do that. Should lead you in greater thankfulness to Jesus for the grace that has been shown to you. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. There must be a joy, dear friends. It cannot just be a rigid, I'm just going to do this because I have to do this. We need a joy. Jesus had joy in going to the cross. Jesus had a joy. He did this voluntarily. It wasn't, well, I just got myself in this situation now and I just have to do this because these other people acted this way. He did it voluntarily. And the self-denial and the taking up of a cross for the Christian is voluntary. John 10 and 18, Jesus says, no one takes it from me, but I lay down, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. The cross is voluntary. He did it willingly. Hebrews 12 in verses 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Listen here. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Christ voluntarily took the cross upon himself. Christ with joy went to the cross and died on your behalf, dear Christian. This was intentional, this was willing, and it was with joy. It's hard to grasp, it's hard to understand. But it must be something that we believe. This is what the scriptures say. John MacArthur says this, What is most striking about the Lord's call to discipleship is that it de- demands a radical self-denial, perhaps to the point of dying, while also living in co- complete obedience to his commands. That puts the true gospel preached by Jesus in sharp contrast with the contemporary pseudo-gospel of self-fulfillment popularly proclaimed and received by many who identify themselves as Christians. This is a part of the Christian life. This is God's will. God is intentionally desiring that you walk through difficulty and that you walk through difficulty in self-denial and bearing your cross for his glory and do it with joy. It's only through the work of God that this can happen. And this is a progressive and gradual area that, friends, you look back many years back and you see the ways in which God has changed you. The Lord uses self-denial and cross-bearing in the life of the Christian for their sanctification. Remember the Israelites. Let's go back to them. Remember they they were freed out of Egypt and the Lord used this wilderness journey of the Israelites being freed from Egypt to remove the Egypt from them. And the same is true for you, dear friends. We are a people that at this time have been called out of Egypt. We have been called out of darkness, called to walk in obedience, and the Lord is using 
this time, even now, to prepare us for eternity. This intentionality is to use the difficulties of life intentionally placed there and self-denying ourselves even in obedience to Christ Jesus. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. This cross that you're called to take up that we'll unpack more in the sermons as we go forward. These are not trials providentially placed in your life. Having cancer is not a cross. that's, That's a thorn. That's a providential difficulty in your life. Just having a difficult child or just merely a difficult marriage for some reason or, or something that's providentially happening in your life. These are thorns the Lord uses them for his good purpose in our lives. But the crosses are taken up voluntarily. Paul had a thorn. We see that in 2 Corinthians 12, 7. Says this, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelation, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. The Lord sovereignly did this for his sanctification, for his work, to keep him from thinking too highly of himself. But understand this reality of the cross. Do not be surprised when the cross that you bear may be in contrast to the culture that you live in and may even more as we keep going in this time in our culture as they are in a downward spiral in rebellion against God, it will be more and more at odds with the culture itself. We see the cross. I have a cross hanging up behind me here. We we don't think of the cross as this scourge, as this offense but you, but you must understand this. this. This was repugnant. James Edwards says this. In the first century, the cross was not a mere symbol or figure of speech, but a repugnant instrument of cruelty, pain, dehumanization, and shame. The cross was thus a symbol of absoluteness and totality, and it retains both senses as used by Jesus. The cross signified a total claim of life, a claim that daily there must be accepted and followed in the lives of his followers. But that which you deny yourself of in following Christ, that which you bear in the purpose of following Christ, you are choosing, you are choosing to hold to that which cannot be lost and choosing to release that which cannot be kept. You must not look the other way, as though you were missing something in Egypt. That which is held on to has eternal and significant purpose. John Piper makes this point. No rich man on his deathbed ever comforted himself with all of his possessions that his life was well spent. There is no reason to cling to the sands of this life, the dust of this life as it is stated in the Psalms, as though it can be held the tighter you grasp Upon it, the faster it escapes from your hands. Now, Christ Jesus has provided this way for us that is best. Christ, our Lord Jesus, clothed himself in flesh and dwelt among us as a man. Why? Because we were sinful. We were helpless. We were hopeless. We were like those in Egypt under bondage. We were a slave 
to sin, dead in our trespasses, hopeless. We came forward from the womb. We came forward in rebellion against God. And God showed kindness to us. God showed his love to us while we were yet sinners. Christ died. Do you understand that, dear friends? Christ walked obediently. Christ fulfilled the law in every way. Christ took upon himself the fullness of the wrath of God. We were unable to do this ourselves. Friends, it is by grace and through faith that we are saved. It is by looking to our hopelessness, looking to the greatness of our sin and our inability to make ourselves right before God and see the beauty of Christ and the cross that he has bore on our behalf. Only in that is there salvation. Only in that is there hope. Only in that, dear friends, is there sanctification and growth in your life. It is to continually remember what Christ has done on our behalf that should be the motivation that drives us to walk into obedience so we see even these small things that we may give up in this life as but peccadillos, as but small things in comparison to eternity. We see it in this way. There is a very famous poem that was written by a man named C.T. Studd. He was a man who served as a missionary. He's from Great Britain, served in the 19th century, and he served with um, Hudson Taylor in the inland China mission. I don't read poems very often, but I'm going to close in reading this poem. Its emphasis and repetition is something that we should be mindful of. There's things you can communicate in a poem that I believe um, communicate certain ideas even more efficiently. The name of this poem is Only One Life Twill Soon Be Passed by C.T. Studd. Two little lines I heard one day traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart and from my mind would not depart. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one, soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day my Lord to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life twill soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. Only one life, the still small voice, gently pleads for a better choice, bidding me selfish, bidding me selfish aims to leave, and to God's holy will to cleave. Only one life will soon be passed, only what is done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears, each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. When this bright world would tempt me sore, when Satan would a victory score, when self would seek to have its way, then help me, Lord, with joy to say, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Give me, a, give me, Father, a purpose deep in joy or sorrow, thy words to keep faithful and true, Ere the strife, 
pleasing thee in my daily life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fever burn, with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone, bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. And when at last I'll hear the call, I know I'll say, twas worth it all. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And when I'm dying, how happy I'll be if the lamp of my life has been burned out for thee. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and daily follow me. It is not for nothing that self-denial occurs. It is not for no small thing that crosses are taken up, for it is a recognition of Christ and what he has done, the beauty of Christ and who he is, a recognition of the grace that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus that should be the drive that leads us to self-denial and to bear the cross that the Lord has placed before us in our lives at the time. And it is no small thing. It is a huge thing. And the Lord is using even these ordinary aspects of the life of Christians to strengthen you, to refresh you, and to direct you by the grace of God and for the glory of God. And may we live for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ.